You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. We've never done this at the table, but sometimes churches at the beginning of the year, they talk about who they are and what they're up to. And I just thought, let's do that this year. We've been in, this is our eighth year as a church, never done it. Uh, But just to kind of get us together on the same page and just let everyone know what's going on here in case anyone had any questions. So I thought for this next three weeks, we would just take three weeks to figure out what is God doing in and amongst you, in and through all of us together here at the table? We're calling it Table Talk. If you have any questions, feel free to send them. I'll do my best to answer them either now or in the future uh, so we can try to make this more of a dialogue rather than a monologue. I'm pulling that up now in case I just wanted to, in case anybody want to send anything. That number will be at the bottom of the screen too. It's also on your bulletin. But really the idea is what makes the table the table? Why are we here? Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? What is God's call on us together in this place, in this space, and in this time? And so um, here's the overweek, overview of the three weeks. Today we're going to talk about us as part of the Big C Church. Because we are not an island unto ourselves. We've come from someone, somewhere, and we belong to things. And so I wanted to talk about our place in the global Christian, historic Christian setting. So Big C, capital C, church. Next week, we're going to talk about our mission, vision, values. What are we trying to do? What do we hope to see happen? What are the, what are the ways of how we do it? And then lastly, I'm going to talk about the three tables that I want you to orient your life around. The three tables that I want us to orient <clears throat> our life around. So that's going to be the three weeks of this series. Today we're talking about Big C Church. Where did we come from? Who are we a part of? Uh, where does the table fit within church history? So two disclaimers. A little bit of church history lecture right here. Yeah, I heard a yes, yes. And also, excuse me, I'm going to be saying a lot of titles and group names and denomination names. And I'm not trying to put that on any one of you. There is a low pressure, no pressure situation here at the table. I'm just talking about them. I'm not trying to get you to own any of these labels. I just want you to know of them in case you're ever interested in where we come from, where we're going. Does that make sense? I'm not trying to box you in. I'm just telling you that we got a little bit of tradition that we're connected to. Again, you don't have to have these labels. I mean, the first one I want you you do have to have. But after everyone after that, everyone after that, this is a you thing. I'm here as part of the journey. I just want to let you know it, it helps us talk about our why, our stories. Personally, institutionally, our story is our why. It's how we got here. It's what we're about. So you don't have to own the labels except this one, Christianity. I want you to own that one. That one I want to be yours. And if not, we can talk about the two. I'm glad you're here as well. But Christianity, we want to talk about church history. Let me tell you, by and large, Christianity existed as one functioning group for about a 1,000 years, which is a good run if you're talking about it. About a thousand years. There were some splinter groups. There were people arguing about things like how many wills does Jesus have and how many natures does Jesus have. And those people kind of broke off. We got some monothalamites back in there. But mostly, by and large, we got one large group called Christian. We're part of that. That's who we're a part of. 
Then it splits in 1054. They call this the Great Schism, East and West. Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox split 1054, the Great Schism. Then 500 years later, there's another split. All part of what we would call a Protestant Reformation or some kind of Reformation. But in the 1520s and 1530s, out of the Catholic Church in Europe, you get the Protestant Reformation is where you get a guy named Martin Luther, not Martin Luther King. That's America, 1960s. Martin Luther, 1500s. He nailed his 95 theses to the door. He said, here's all my problems with the Catholic Church, which at the time, there were a lot. But also in England, they were doing their own thing. They had a king who wanted to have a baby and didn't know at the time that it was his fault. And so he blamed every wife he had, and he had about eight of them, right? King Henry the yeah, eighth had about eight or nine wives, right? And so the Catholic Church was like, you can't get divorced. And he was like, I'll start my own thing. So um, we have a protest. That's where Protestant comes from. They are protesting the abuses going on at this time. And there's two kind of movements happening. There's actually multiple, but we're going to lump them together just for ease. Out of these two come maybe some of the names you've heard. Out of the Protestant Reformation, you're going to get names like Lutherans, Presbyterians, Baptists, Anabaptists, Congregationalists. The Congregational Church is the big, beautiful one downtown with the bells and the stained glass. Presbyterians out on the hill. Lutherans are out on the hill. A bunch of Baptists. Out of the Church of England Reformation, there came a guy named John Wesley. And John Wesley started a movement called Wesleyanism or Methodism. And some of those names you might have heard. United Methodists, they're out on Acacia. Free Methodist, that's us. Spoiler alert. Nazarenes out there on the, in, in, out by LP. Uh, almost identical, Free Methodists and Nazarenes. Church of God, Pentecostalism, and then there's a group called Wesleyans. That's your church history. I, I just wanted you to know, essentially, where we stand. If I could give you a really easy marker, essentially something happens every 500 years. Every 500 years, there's a shakeup in the church. And also, spoiler alert, we're at a 500-year mark. Something should be happening right now. I'm just letting you know if it stands to be true. And so this is us. We are part of the broader Christian world's. We are part of the, the Orthodox tradition of Christianity, the Big C Church. We belong to a group of people called Wesleyans who came out of that Church of England, John Wesley. And then we belong to a tribe called Free Methodists. And that's my head, heart, hands today. If you, right here. That's my head, heart, hands today as I want to talk about those. Three points. Who are we? Where do we come from? What's our story? Um, I'm trying to jam that into our head, heart, hands. Something for us to know something for us to feel or experience, and something for us to do. And I think those line up. Those three identity markers of this institution line up with this. So what does God want us to know in the midst of this? I want to say that we are orthodox. Big word. You know it, though. What is orthodox? Ortho. You go see a doctor called ortho what? Pedist? Orthodontist? Is there any other ones? Orthopedic, orthodontist. What's the one with bones? Oh, is that Petus? Guys, listen, I went to school for theology. We got about 40 medical care workers out here. Talk to them. 
Ortho means right or straight, right? You want straight teeth, you want straight bones, you want right teeth, right bones, ortho. Dox means worship. We sing the doxology, praise God from whom, right? The doxology this is worship. So when we say orthodox, we are part of the tradition that we are, we are part of the true church. We are part of the ones that have the right belief. And for us, that's a big tent. We think lots of the group. Almost every church in town, we consider brothers and sisters. We are part of this thing together as orthodox. The church... And what I want you to know about the Orthodox, the old church, the ancient church, is that they were serious about truth. They were very serious about truth. Hundreds of years of, of dialogue and debate and coming together and trying to figure out what's going on in Scripture and in this thing that Jesus did with his life, death, and resurrection. The passage I want to give to us, so that as we think about this topic, comes from Second Thessalonians 2.15. He says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions we taught you, whether we taught you in person or through our letter. They were serious about the faith. They wanted us to stand firm in the traditions that were handed down to us, either through Scripture or in person. This is an important part of who we are. It makes up what we do. In fact, our entire worship service is ordered around the way that the ancient service was conducted. There's a welcome with a psalm and worship. Then there's word, and then there's table, and then I send you out. We are standing in the tradition of the ancient church. Their tradition and our tradition is Bible first and foremost. We believe firmly that everything we do should be grounded in God's Word. Everything we do and say and teach and believe should come from the revealed Word of God found in God's Scripture. But there are other things that come down to us too because we are not an island unto ourselves, and so we belong to a community of saints that have existed from the 2,000 years until now. We're a part of that. So when I say tradition, this is what I want you to not think about and think about because sometimes we hear tradition and we think of dead. Tradition is the living faith of the dead, saints that have gone before us. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. I don't want this. We don't want dead faith. But we want to be part of the vibrant stream of Christianity that has existed for 2,000 years. Because if we're not, then we're making stuff up and then we get in real trouble. Right? We want to belong to the body of Christ that has existed from the beginning. They were serious about truth. Here's some ways that we try to do that, some general ways that we try to stay within the bigger body of Christ. This guy is named St. Vincent of Lorenz. He came up with a, a saying, commonatorium, that helps us stay within Jesus's true, correct way of being church. He says, all possible care must be taken that we hold that faith which has been believed everywhere, always, and by all. We are part of that stream, the faith that has been believed everywhere, always, and by all. That's what we do. Again, the church was serious about truth, and we are too, and that truth is grounded in God's word and the traditions we've received. Another way we can make sure that we stay within the big C body of Christ is the five fingers of orthodoxy. There was a guy named Bishop Lancelot, Andrews. And he came up with five ways to stay within the big C church. He says, one, stick to your Bible. Yeah? Amen? 
He says, by the way, part of your Bible, there's two covenants or two testaments, Old and New Testament. You got to read both of them. You can't pick and choose. Amen? Great. Then he says there are three creeds that help us navigate how we find truth and how we stay close to Jesus. And for us, those are the Apostles, Nicene, and Athanasian Creed. And like most churches in town, we do affirm these creeds. We just did a whole series on the Apostles' Creed. Fourth, he says, we stick to the four first centuries of Christians talking about who Jesus is and what's going on. And lastly, he says, we stick to the five centuries of theologians, the ones who are closest to Jesus in time, chronology, the ones who are closest to the original language. Those are the ones we read the most to make sure that we stay closest to Jesus. The church was serious about truth, and they're trying to put all these safeguards in place so that we stay in the truth, and we want to be a part of that truth too. And so I just want you to know, we are a part of this big C, ancient, orthodox truth. The church is serious about truth. Can I tell you how serious they are about truth? This is a story about Santa Claus. St. Nicholas was a bishop in Mira. He he loved Jesus, uh, ran a bunch of churches in his city, he got to go to one of those councils where they were trying to argue about who Jesus was. 300 bishops show up. St. Nicholas shows up. His, list, his name is on actual historical lists for being at the Council of Nicaea. And somebody says, hey, there's this priest down the road, and he's saying some wonky stuff. He's saying that Jesus isn't God. And they were like, well, let's talk about that. And they said, well, maybe instead of us talking about it, let's have that guy come tell us. So they go get that priest down the road. They said, hey, Arius, his name was Arius. Hey, Arius, come talk to us. Tell us what you're teaching. Arius shows up and he says, well, Jesus isn't God. He's just a dude like us. He talked for hours. St. Nicholas gets so mad. He's trying to hold it in. Trying to hold it in. But he loves truth. And he knows Jesus well. Finally, he walks up to Arius talking, and he says, you need to stop talking now. And Arius says, I'm going to keep talking, and louder. And now he's shouting over the top of St. Nicholas, and then St. Nicholas punched him. That's the story we have. That's the actual story we have. Right in the jaw. The ancient church was very serious about about truth. Now, let me tell you, all the bishop says, Jesus followers don't punch people. That's not chill, St. Nicholas. They took his bishop robe from him. They put him in jail overnight. And then it said in the next morning that he came back and he repented and he asked for forgiveness. And he said that he shouldn't have done that. And the bishops reinstated him. And at the end, they condemned Arius. And they said, you're wrong and you're a heretic and we're burning all your writings. And St. Nicholas was right in word, not in deed. But the early church was serious about truth. So serious, Santa Claus punched a guy. Listen, that's what I... For saying wrong things about Jesus. That's a real, actual story that's carried down through tradition for us. Look, that... I mean, somebody painted this 300 years ago. Somebody getting hit. Just letting you know. So I'm not telling you that this church is in favor of punching people. What I'm telling you is that's how serious they were about truth. And that's the kind of church we want to be, standing in that tradition. We want to be serious about God's word. We want to be serious about who Jesus is. And we stand in that tradition of seriousness of truth. What does God want us to experience or feel? The next point, the heart point. And and where does that fit in with the story of of where we come from as the table and what, what we're about? 
I have to tell you, we are Wesleyan, which I already spilled the beans on that. We belong to that tribe that came out of the Church of England, John Wesley, and we belong to that guy. And when I say belong, I just mean we think he had a great articulation of who Jesus is and what Jesus was up to for this time and place. We love the things he was saying. And so that's who we are. We, we co- have come out of the movement that he started. It was a small group movement. It was a renewal movement. He was doing all kinds of things in England. Lots of places were, and he was, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself. I love this man. Uh, Lots of places were having revolutions. America had a revolution. France had a revolution. It was bloody. It was violent. People died. People lost family members. They said his ministry at the same, about same time, his ministry was so effective that England really didn't have a revolution like they did. They were able to work things out a little bit differently than we did. Same goes for slavery in America. Slavery. We fought a war. Bloodiest war we ever fought. Americans died by the thousands. But because of the ministry of Wesley and Wilberforce, they were able to solve it legally without the shedding of blood. These men were powerful people in their times. And the two things, if I could sum up his 90 years of life and ministry and teaching. It's experience and love. Where he comes from, he wants to talk about love. And that's just a different way of talking about God than some of the other bodies of Christ around us, which we believe and we love and we we affirm and we think they're brothers and sisters and we think they have an aspect of the truth that is helpful. But the the thing that we want to emphasize is, is love. And what I mean by experience is that he really wanted people to know that they could experience God regularly. That you could have an actual, real-life, divine experience of God regularly. Uh, The passage I'm using to kind of support this so we can have some scripture, my favorite passage in all of scripture, 1 John 4, 12. If we love each other, God remains in us and his love is made perfect in us. When we love each other, God abides or remains in us, and God's love for us is made perfect. It's brought to its end. It's brought to its goal. It's brought to its completion. The completion of God's love for us is found in when we love one another. Wesley believed we could experience the God who abides in us through this emphasis of love. Regularly have real experience of God's loving presence that grows you into more of a loving person. This is the emphasis he wanted. And if I could read a big chunk of text, which is the most boring thing you could do in a presentation in a sermon, I still want to do it anyways. This is from Wesley trying to sum up all this religious thing we're trying to do. He says, We see and who does not the numberless follies and miseries of our fellow creatures Right? We see that the world is broken. We see that people are struggling. We see that there's sadness and depression and brokenness, all kinds of things that are wrong in the world. He says, we see on every side either people who have no religion or people who have dead formal religion. That's kind of the, the two sides that he wants to navigate in between them. No religion, dead formal religion. And we are grieved at the sight, and we should greatly rejoice if by any means we might convince some that there is a better religion to be attained, a religion worthy of the God that gave it. And this we conceive to be no other than love. The love of God and of all mankind, the love 
the loving God with all our heart and all our soul and strength and having as he has first loved us as the fountain of all the good we have received and of all we have ever hoped to enjoy and loving every soul which God has made every person on earth as our own soul this love we believe to be the medicine of life the never failing remedy for all the evils of a disordered world and for all the miseries and vices of men wesley emphasized love and he's just saying if we can experience god's love it fixes everything everything wrong in our world everything wrong in our life this is his emphasis you can have regular experience with god where you feel god's love and it changes your life that's the tribe that we are part of that's what we belong to if you watch football you know that there was a a, a Scary situation that happened Thursday? I don't know, guys. What day is it? 2014? DeMar Hamlin was a player for the Bills. Okay, no one's corrected me. And uh, I watched it real time. I just, you know. And some kind of kickoff return? Yes. No, okay, well, there's a play. He was a part of the play. He got hit in the chest, and it stopped his heart. Just one of these freak things that happen, where if you hit right at the right time at the right place, it just stops the whole deal. People first thought it was just an injured player, and then they realized something more serious was happening, and then, and then grown, 400-pound dudes weeping, people gathering for prayer. That the paramedics ultimately come out. Give him CPR on the field. It was scary. Crowd standing, dead silent, commentators crying, players crying, coaches crying. It was wild. Finally, they, they send him off, and then NFL calls, and they're like, five minutes, and then restart the game. And the players said, absolutely not. We've been through something so traumatic. We don't know if our brother is going to make it. We still don't know if his heart has restarted. We're not playing this game. And so both teams boycotted their own game, left, got on planes, went home. It was an incredible sight to see out of something so traumatic. DeMar Hamblin has since woke up. And his first message to the whole world through Instagram he did say, did we win? Did he? he asked his doctors, did we win? And they were like, bro, they canceled the game. You're lucky to be alive. But his first message to all of us was, I know you can't see it. When you put real love out into the world, it comes back to you three times as much. The love has been overwhelming. But I'm thankful for every single person that prayed for me and reached out. We brought the world back together behind this. If you know me, you know this is only going to make me stronger. On a long road, keep praying for me. His first words back to the world after such a traumatic event is love. In fact, he's talking about the increase of love that comes out of suffering like this. And he's talking about the long road ahead of him and coveting prayers. This just sounded so much like this Wesleyan thing that we're talking about. That you can experience God's love in a way that helps you grow in love. That's one of the emphases we have as the Table Church is we want to talk about 
love. I just read a quote last night from Wesley when he would go listen to people preach. He would say, too much wrath, not enough love. That's what he would say. That was too much of God's wrath, not enough of God's love. Love it. That gives you an insight into the kind of movement we belong to. Lastly, what does God want us to do? I think this comes down from this other tradition that we're a part of. We are part of a tribe called Free Methodists, which uh, essentially I'll just let you know, we got kicked out of the bigger Methodist church because we wanted slaves to be free, which I love. Listen, if you're going to get in trouble, get in trouble for something good. We wanted slaves to be free. They, they used to not pass plates. You know, church pass plates. We don't do that. There's a box in the back. But they used to pass plates. They didn't do that before. You rented your seat. And sometimes you'd come. No one could sit in your seat, even if you weren't there. And people that didn't rent a seat had to stand in the back or sit on the ground. And we said, no, we want slaves to be free. We want seats to be free. We want women to be free. We were really wanting women to be able to step into the Holy Spirit gift that God has given them. Uh, there was just, we wanted freedom of worship, uh, a little less robes, a little less standing up and down, smells and bells. You know, we wanted you to let the Holy Spirit... We want to let the Holy Spirit move you instead of me just being like, stand up, sit down, hokey pokey. <laughs> These are the frees of free Methodism. The passage I want to attach to this, because it's a do passage, because they really put their faith into practice, is this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows, doing stuff for people who are in need in your community, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Let me tell you, this is a hard thing to hold together, to be holy people and to be a people that is of action and service to your neighbors. That's a hard tension. Most churches get this wrong. I'm not even saying we got it right, but it's one of the things we want to try to get right. We want to be a holy people unto Jesus, unstained by the world, but we also want to be people who are action-oriented, meeting needs where we see them in our neighborhood. This idea we want to love God and love our neighbor. We want to do both, which is hard. A lot of churches accidentally pick one or the other. Some churches are really into loving their neighbor and you don't see a lot of love of God. A lot of churches are really into loving God and you don't often see a lot of loving neighbor. And the Free Methodist Church, Nazarene Church, a lot of these Wesleyan Holiness Churches trying to do both. Hold that tension of loving God, both, uh, both God and neighbor. Last story. This is the guy who kind of got kicked out for wanting slaves to be free. His name is B.T. Roberts. And the story is he was going to St. Louis to start a church. And St. Louis was the furthest south and west he had been. In 1859, slavery was rampant. The most amount of slaves that he had ever seen. In droves, marching south, north, wherever they could get sold. We're about five, six years out from the Civil War. People are trying to make as much money as they can before this whole institution falls apart. And he's just heartbroken. And yet he's in St. Louis trying to start a church. And the church says, hey, we have to let people who own slaves into the church. Because there's so many of them around here. And he went and talked to, he went and talked to a, a woman who'd just been freed from slavery. They called her Aunt Clarissa. And she said, I'm missing like four or five kids. They were sold. I don't know where my kids are. Weeping, sad. And so he goes to this meeting, and, and he says in his journal, 
Slavery makes slaves of all. It destroys freedom of spirit. The blight of slavery extends to everything. We feel its crushing influence even in our little meetings. God help me to do all I can in behalf of the poor, suffering humanity. And so when they finally decided to start this church, and half the church said, we got to let people who own slaves in, the other church, half the church said, no, we shouldn't let, I mean, this is a horrible situation in our country. He stood his ground. He said, nobody who owns slaves can be a part of the church. Which I think to us doesn't sound very radical, because we're like, yeah, slavery is bad, duh. But then it was totally legal. And I just can't imagine the radicality that it takes to say, yeah, something that's totally legal in your country, you actually, if you do it, you can't belong here. And that's the kind of faith that these folks had. If you want to be a part of this thing that we're doing, if you want to be a part of this particular Jesus movement, we're going to love God with our whole hearts, but we're also going to love our neighbors as ourselves. And what that means is we're going to help do all we can on behalf of poor, suffering humanity around us. Widows and orphans, as God has commanded, people who are suffering. And that's how what this tribe became known as. This is deep in the South. We planted some free Methodist churches where everybody was welcome. Even in a time in our country when not everybody could even go to school together or drink out of the same water fountains, we had a movement where people could gather where women could use their gifts, where people of all colors could come together as a body of Christ. That's the kind of tribe that we belong to. That's the kind of thing we do. Questions, answers. Who got answers to any of my questions? They're like, it was not a kickoff, James. It was a different kind of play. Uh, In the five-finger way of, of knowing we're in orthodoxy, what's the difference between councils and theologians, or why did we take an extra century of one over the other? Great question. Four councils, 500 years of theologians, because not all the theologians went to the councils, and so you said some really brilliant people like Augustine or Gregory of Nyssa, some of these ancient church fathers who weren't a part of the councils, but who helped us understand Jesus a little bit better, and so we wanted to make sure they got included the councils, the first four councils are the ones where we figure out things like the Trinity, really important things. What books are in our Bible? These were really important councils. And so some of those things didn't work. Great question. That's all my questions. Here's my summary, and then we are moving on. The table church belongs to the big C church, Christianity. And that's a, hope, a label I hope all you have. But we also belong to a tradition called Wesleyanism, which emphasizes God's love in the experience of God in our regular life. And lastly, as part of the tribe known Free Methodist, uh, we want to take both seriously, both seriously, both our holiness and our service to our neighbors. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we can learn the history of your movement, your history throughout the world. We belong to something so much bigger than ourselves. A river, a stream of you moving in and throughout history. Would you help us individually and as a group to find our place there in what you're doing? To feel your presence there. To feel included 
in the grand sense. And this stuff that is of you, not the labels, but the emphases, the the things about love and the things about service to our neighbors and the things about truth, would you help us to be people of truth, to be people of love, and to people of service? All those labels aside, I pray that over each and every one of us, Lord, that we would be truthful, loving, and action-oriented service towards the neighbors around us. And Lord, as we come to this table, this time of communion, uh, would we help us, would you help us to come with expectant hearts that we would meet you here as you promised you would? And would this be an energizing time, a life-giving time where your Holy Spirit encourages, equips, and empowers us to do just that, be people of truth, love, and service. And we will give you praise saying these things in Jesus' name. Table Church, will you help me finish this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins.